brought a Bible, go please to the gospel according to Mark and also to the book of Psalms, two portions of scripture this morning, Psalm 144 verse 1 and Mark chapter 3 verse 1 through 5. The Bible uh, this morning is full of hope and uh, inspiration for our hearts as we come to the word of God, it is food for our soul. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to Psalm 144, verse 1, in Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up here on the screen in just a moment, or you can use your digital device. The scripture reads in Psalm 144 and verse 1, it reads, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. How many of you know that God can train you to win? How many of you need God to train you to win? Mark chapter 3, verse 1, he entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. There, we, there were watching him to see him if he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse the Lord. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, it is lawful, or is it lawful, to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill it? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved in their hardness, uh, at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Amen. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in the house of prayer. We acknowledge the presence and power of the Holy Spirit among us. Now I ask now that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God, and that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might receive the word sown into this fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to share with you this morning uh, from these two passages of scripture, uh, because there are some important truths here regarding what God has been saying to us in the last uh, uh, couple of months, the last eight weeks or so. He said to us that we were walking in a miracle season. And how many of you have received that word? How many of you have believed that word? God wants to do some things in your life that you've been waiting on for a long time. And many times the a need in our life is so great that we lose sight of the, the abilities or the things that we have within our grasp. So I believe the Lord wants to remind us this morning about some things that you have in your life at your disposal that God wants to use and can use in order to bring about the deliverance, the breakthrough, and the miracle that you need and want in your life. But we begin this morning with the story of a man with a withered hand. He finds himself in uh, the first century, and he is a, a man who is in a desperate situation. Today, a person with a, with a disability like this, a disabled hand, would be able to find the resources in the government or through charitable organizations. He would be able to find uh, enough, perhaps, to get by and uh, to live and uh, at least be able to feed his family. But in the first century, there were no such programs. If you had the inability to work, you didn't get to eat. 
And if you didn't have the ability to work, you couldn't provide for your family. And so this man finds himself in a desperate situation. He has lost the use of his hand. We don't know how. Perhaps in an accident at work. Perhaps while quarrying or lifting heavy stones. Perhaps while doing some labor or maybe in a war. Whatever the case may be, he lost the ability to use his hand. And anybody in here who's ever experienced the loss of an arm or a hand due to a, a breakage or having to wear a cast or a brace, you know the difficulty that it is to try to live life without both of your hands and without the ability to exercise the things that you normally do in, a, in your daily life using your hands. And so this man is in that situation. He's in that condition. And we learn from Scripture the importance of our hands because in the, in the natural they re reflect our ability to work, to provide, to sustain a home and a family. But in the spiritual sense, our hands are also just as important. We learn that the, uh, the, the priests would go into the tabernacle or the temple. They would lay their hands upon the horns of the altar and they would intercede for the nation of Israel. So we see the hands as a vital part of the intercessory work of prayer. They were a part of the spiritual life of the priest, and as a result, a part of the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. It was also true in that day that you could not enter into covenants unless you had the ability to work. And so a man with a withered hand could not make a contract. He could not enter into a covenant. He could not enjoy the benefits that were available to the other men in his society. We find this man at church on a particular day. Uh, they didn't call it church, of course. It was a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. And this man is probably, from the details of the text, sitting back in the back, trying to avoid notice, trying to avoid being pointed out, or, or perhaps uh, everyone there was already familiar with his need, and he was just quietly sitting there experiencing life as it was. And maybe he was already resigned to the fact that things were the way they were were never going to change. But the Bible says that Jesus came again into the synagogue. And Jesus came to the synagogue where this man was sitting. And he came with a purpose. He came, as was always his purpose, to manifest the glory of of God. I want you to notice two things about that. First of all, it says that Jesus came again to the synagogue. It lets us know that Jesus had a habit of going to the synagogue. He had a habit of going to the place of prayer, of going to the house of God. This needs to be a habit in every one of our lives, the habit of going to the house of God. How many of you are in the habit of being in the house of God? I'm glad you're here this morning, and I want you to make that a habit in your life Make it something that you do when, you're, when you are happy, when you're sad, when you are in good times and bad times. You need to make it a practice in your life always to be in the house of God. If you have a funeral that week, be in the house of God on Sunday. If you have a, a need in your life that is so desperate you can't hardly raise your head, be in the house of God the next Sunday. Go to the house of God because the Bible says that blessing begins at the house of God. The scripture actually says, it tells us that uh, the, the birds make their nests near the altars of the Lord. The birds know enough 
although birds don't have spiritual life and they don't have eternal life, uh, they know enough to say, we want to get near the house of God. We want to get near to the altars of the Lord. Can I tell you, friend, if a bird that does not have eternal life can desire the presence of God, how much more you and I this morning who have eternal life and the hope of heaven should desire to be in the house of God and to be in the presence of God. That's where it begins. Jesus had a habit of going to the house of God. The other thing I want you to notice there is it says that he came again into the synagogue. He came again, meaning that he was about to do something that he had already done before. And I want to just remind you this morning that our God is not a God who is limited to one time, one thing. Your God is able to do and to do it again. Your God is able to deliver and to deliver again. To heal and to heal again. To restore and to restore again. Come on, somebody. Your God is able to manifest his glory in your life. And I believe that God is about to do some again things in your life. You're going to be saying things like this. In January, God brought me through, but he did it again in July. Last year, God healed me, but he did it again this year. Come on, somebody. He provided yesterday, but he provided again today. He blessed me last week, but he blessed me again this week. Your God is able to do that. If you believe that, shout amen in the house of God. Now, this man and this, uh, this Savior are in the same place. Friends, when God and you come into the same place, anything's possible. Now, there were some other people at the synagogue that day. The Bible tells us that the Pharisees were there. The critics were there. And I want you to notice them. I, I don't normally preach about Pharisees, but I want you to just notice these guys. They were there, and this is what they were doing. They were expecting Jesus to perform a miracle on the Sabbath so that they could have a reason to accuse him. Just think about that. These were Jesus' enemies. These men were, were counter to the message and ministry of Jesus. They did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe he was the Son of God. They did not believe he was a prophet. And yet, they were in the synagogue watching to see what was God going to do through Jesus today. They were watching to see if he was going to perform a miracle. And I want you to notice that because many times we find more faith in unbelievers than in believers. Many times the house of God struggles to believe God and people outside of the house of God believe God at a moment's notice. The pastor says, we are walking in a miracle season. It's time to start believing that God's going to provide, that God's going to manifest a breakthrough in your life. And the outsider, the unbeliever, says, hey, you know, that's interesting. I wonder what God's going to do. And the people in the house of God are saying, well, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Well, I don't know where pastor got this. Uh, well, I'll just check and see. No, friend, you've got to decide I'm going to believe God. I'm going to expect God to move. I'm going to expect God to manifest his power and his glory in my life it's a sad thing when the world expects more from God than his own children 
It's a sad thing when the world expects more from God than the ones who walk with him and talk with him. Friends, I have refused to be in that situation. If there's going to be anybody to believe, I'm going to be the first in line. If there's anybody to risk and take a risk for God, that will be me. Because my God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that I could ask or even imagine. Come on, somebody. You ought to get excited this morning. You have a God who can and a God who does. And he is looking for people who will believe him, who will exercise their faith toward him. The Bible said that Jesus called this man out. He said, hey, you, come forward. Now, this man doesn't want to be pointed out, I'm sure, just like nobody in here would like for me to say, hey, you, come over here. But he comes forward, and Jesus restores his hand. And this is how Jesus does it. He does it with a simple instruction. He says, stretch forth your hand. Now, if the man could have stretched forth his hand, he wouldn't be the man with a withered hand. He can't stretch forth his hand. If he didn't have a withered hand, he wouldn't need a miracle. So why is Jesus telling him to do the very thing that he cannot do? Why is Jesus telling him to do the very thing that he doesn't have within his power to do? Friends, that's exactly what God is calling you to do today. That's exactly what God calls us to do every day. When you and I are walking by faith, God is always calling us to do the thing that we cannot do. Because you see, if God asked you to do something you could do, you would say, look what I did. Look what I accomplished. Look how far I got. Look how far I come. I pulled myself up from my bootstraps. But when you do what no one can do, but God, when you begin to operate in the power of faith, when you begin to operate in the strength that God supplies, the only one that gets the glory is God. The only one that gets the credit is God. And you have to stand back and say, look what the Lord has done. Look what God has done. This morning, God is challenging you to do those things that you cannot do. And he said, stretch forth your hand. Now, listen, you have a promise from God. Here's the promise from God. He says that he trains your hands for war and your fingers for the fight. Now, I want you to notice these two things. First of all, God trains your hands for war. If you look at the book of Job, it tells us how God trains our hands for war. The, the book of Job says that our hands become strong when they pull on the bow. That means that the warrior becomes good in his skill as a warrior when he goes into battle and actually pulls that bow and shoots that arrow. You see, you're going to grow in your spiritual life. If you're going to bear fruit and mature in your spiritual life, if you're going to win the spiritual battles that you're going through right now, you have to daily pull on that bow. You've got to be shooting arrows every day. 
Because when you do that, two things are happening. Number one, you're getting better. Your aim is getting better. So that the first time you pull on that bow, that arrow might go in the wrong direction or may not go very far. But the more you pull on that bow, the more that you exercise that, you become better at your aim. You start praying clearer prayers. You start uh, you start witnessing in a clearer way. You start to uh, see things happen in your life as a result of your growth and your spiritual maturity. But something else happens. When you pull on that bow, your muscle begins to develop. Your strength, begin, your strength begins to form. This doesn't happen when you go and hang your bow and your arrow on the wall and you say, well, I'll just wait for the devil to show up in my life and then I'll go get my weapons and then I'll learn how to use them. No, friend, you've got to learn how to use your weapons now. You've got to learn how to exercise your weapons now. And the Bible said that God is the one who trains your hands for war. That means that every day, as you walk with the Holy Spirit, he's teaching you how to war against the devil. He's teaching you how to make war in the heavenlies and how to bring victory into your life. And he does that by allowing the challenges that you face to come into your life. Listen, friends, if you didn't have any challenges this week, you didn't grow this week. The only way you grew this week is if you had some challenges, if you faced some resistance. And God is training you through that because the Bible says that patience produces endurance. That when you and I begin to, uh, to face every challenge as the Spirit of God leads us, we're learning how to do war in the heavenlies. And we're gaining strength. You and I who have been walking with the Lord for a while, you know that you don't pray the way you used to pray. You know that you don't worship the way you used to worship. You know that you don't, you don't read and study the Bible the way you used to read and study the Bible because you've gotten better. You have exercised those skills in your life. And then the second part of the promise says that God will train your fingers to fight. Did you know that your fingers can fight? Now, I want you to just think about this. There are five fingers on your hand. God trains the hand for war and the fingers to fight. I want to tell you five spiritual disciplines that you and I have at our disposal in order to be able to fight and to win. Here's the first one. The first thing that believers do with their hands is pray. Everybody say pray. You say, Pastor, when I pray, I pray with my mouth. I know you do, but always your hands are involved. In, in the Western world, we, we fold our hands together like this sometimes when we pray. Or sometimes when you pray around your dinner table, you take the hands of your, of your family and you pray in that way. But the Bible says this, men ought always to pray lifting up holy hands. You see, God instructs us to use our hands in prayer. And when you and I lift our hands in prayer, we're saying two things. Number one, we're saying, God, my hands are empty. I do not have what I need. I am depending upon you. I've got to have your power. I've got to have your wisdom. I've got to have your grace. I've got to have you show up in my life this week. And then the second thing we do when we raise our hands is not only express our dependence, but we're also saying, God, I'm ready to receive what you have for me. I'm ready to receive the power and receive the strength and receive the grace that I need. That's why before we leave church, every time you come to the house of God, what do I tell you? Raise your hands for the blessing. Why? Because I want you to pray and to receive the blessing of God. 
I want you to take in your hands what God has already promised for your life. And so, what is God saying to you this morning? Stretch forth your hand. Stretch your prayer life. Get into a place of prayer and start to pray until things change. Start to pray until things break loose. Start to pray until things happen. You don't have to live on somebody else's prayer life. You cannot live on somebody else's prayer life. You need to pray. And when you pray, God will answer you when you pray in the name of Jesus. If you believe in the power of prayer, shout amen this morning. Then if you believe in the power of pray, prayer, then you need to pray. Everybody say prayer. This is a tool in your hand. And God has made it so powerful, he says that whatever you ask in Jesus' name will be given unto you. Here's the second weapon that you and I have in our hands, and that is worship. When we worship God, we use our hands. Many times we clap our hands. And many times uh, we raise our hands. What are we doing as we worship God? We are engaging our body in a spiritual act of worship. It's the inner man, the spirit that worships and communes with God. But when you lift your hands to God and you begin to worship him, you are acknowledging that he is God and that there is no other. When you raise your hands up above your head, do you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, you are above me. You are greater than me. You are stronger than me. You are above my wisdom. You are above my knowledge. And you begin to worship God. And you begin to acknowledge his power and his presence at work in your life. You say, Pastor, I don't really know about all that. Well, let me challenge you. Next time you're sad, discouraged, next time you're having a pity party, next time you're sitting there saying, woe is me, ay, 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 son muchos mis dolores, next time you're crying over your spilt milk, I want you to do this. Just raise your hands and start saying, God, you are good. God, you're in control. God, you are better than I can imagine. God, you are going to work this out. I worship you. I praise you. I honor you. And I promise you as you do that, the presence of God will come in to your life and change the atmosphere of your life and change the situation around you. But you have to learn to do like David did. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will boast in the Lord. He said, my soul, my inner man will boast in God and will, and will rejoice in God. Friends, when you begin to boast in God, God can't stay away. I told you that last week. You start worshiping God. There's power in your praise. There's power in your worship. And when you and I lift our hands to God in worship, the world around you, is invaded by the precious presence of God. And that situation which seemed impossible begins to come into perspective as you begin to see things in alignment with the word of God. Here's the third thing that you can do with your hands, and that is fast. How many of you know how to fast? About th This half of the church knows how to fast. I don't know about you guys over here. Do you know how to fast over here? We, what is fasting? Fasting is when you go without food. When you say no to food for a designated period of time, you say, Pastor, I don't fast with my hands. I fast with my mouth. Well, yeah, but your hands are what brings the food to your mouth. And if it weren't for your hands, you wouldn't have any food in your mouth. So when you and I take our hands and we say no to that donut and we say no to those tacos and we say no to that, to that uh, uh, junk food and we say I'm going to fast today. 
I'm going to take a day off of eating. And I'm going to spend the time that I would have spent eating, praying, and reading the word. And I'm going to tell this flesh that likes to think it's the boss. I'm going to tell this flesh, you're not in charge here. God's in charge here. And we're going to worship God today. And listen, friends, when you and I begin to fast, things start breaking loose in our life. Things start changing in our life. So it wouldn't do you any any wrong this week to say, you know what, I'm going to take a day off from food and I'm going to give it to God and I'm going to seek his face and I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to worship and I'm going to fast because I'm walking in a miracle season. I'm walking in a day of breakthrough. I'm walking in a day of deliverance and watch what God will do in your life. You know what Jesus said? He said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, everybody say, when you fast. Notice that Jesus did not say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. Jesus took it for granted that all of his children were going to fast. Now, the Bible tells us that during the time that Jesus was on the earth, the Pharisees criticized him, and they said, no, we don't believe you're a prophet because none of your disciples ever seem to fast. They're always feasting instead of fasting. And Jesus said to them, they can't fast right now because the bridegroom is here. He was saying you cannot fast when it's a day of feasting or a day of celebration. He said, but a day is coming when they will fast. And that's the day we're living in right now. This is the day in between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. And until he comes, you and I need to prepare ourselves and discipline ourselves in fasting and in prayer, in expectation of the bridegroom who is soon to come. And friends, there is so much work to be done. There is so much to be done for God until Jesus comes. We need his power and we need his presence. We need his anointing in our life. And many times, the, the work that fasting does is that it doesn't give you more access to God. It doesn't mean God loves you more if you fast. What it means is that you focus on God. That you give God your focus. That you give God your attention. And when God gets your attention, things change in your life. When God gets your attention, things start to shift and turn around in your life. Number four, the fourth thing we do when we use our hands spiritually is we give. You know that giving is a spiritual weapon? It is a spiritual act of war when you give. Listen, every one of you in here that brings your tithe to the storehouse every Sunday, when I bring my tithe to the house of God, you know what we're doing? We are waging war in the heavenlies. Why? Because the Bible says that if you tithe, God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. That means that God will push back the devil out of your life, out of your finances, out of your home when you give and when you tithe and when you bring to God what's his. And then on top of that, you give an offering. You are waging war in the heavenlies. And God says, I'm going to show up in your life, and I'm going to bless you in ways you can't even count. I'm going to bless you in ways that you don't have the ability to contain. And so you and I, when we learn to give, when we use our hands, not just to take, because some people, some people are like a rake. They just take. They just pull in my direction. They're takers. But when you learn how to be a giver, 
When you learn how to say, yes, I'm going to help. I can't, I can't give you everything you need, but I'm going to help. The Bible says that he that gives to the poor lends to God, and God will repay. How many of you would like to lend God some money? You know, if you lend God some money, it's when you give to the poor. When you give to somebody in need. And God says, I'll keep an account of that, and I'll bring it back into your life. Then he says that when you give, he will multiply your seed. So when you begin to give, you begin to see the multiplication factor of God's power in your finances. And the tithe provides protection over your finances. So God says to you, stretch forth your hand. If you haven't been giving, stretch forth your hand. Start to give. You say, Pastor, I don't have a whole lot to give. Start giving where you are with what you've got, and soon you'll have some more to give. Soon you'll have more to invest. Soon you'll have more to sow because he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Here's the last thing that we see, and that is that he says in the Gospels. He said, these signs will follow those that believe. In my name, they will cast out devils, and they will lay hands upon the sick, and they will recover. You realize that God has put power in your hands to bring deliverance and recovery of the sick as you lay hands on your children, on your family, on your husband, on your wife. Now, I want to just encourage you about this because this is a, a practice that every single Christian home needs to adopt. I know that some of you think laying on of hands means spanking your kids. All right, that's a different sermon. That's a different text. All right? Some of you have an anointed chancla. It gets a whole lot of things done in the house. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about you taking your hands. You say, Pastor, my hands don't have any power in them. That's right. They don't. But when you lay hands on somebody else over whom you have spiritual authority, that's a child of yours, that's a person in your family, and you begin to invoke the presence and power of God, God shows up in that. God manifests his power in that. So when you see that rebellious boy come home and he doesn't want anything to do with God and anything to do with the Bible, just tell him, come here and give him a hug. And while you're hugging him, just lay hands on him and tell him, tell him you're going to serve the Lord and you're going to be blessed and you're going to walk with God and you're going to hear the voice of God. And say, Mama, don't do that to me. And you just keep on laying hands on those children until you see manifested in their life what God has already promised to you and what God has given to you in his word. And when they get sick, when they get sick, lay hands on them. Put your hands on them and pray in the name of Jesus. And drive out that sickness out of their life. You will see the great power and the great glory that God will bring into a Christian home that practices this. Now, I don't want you to think you can go lay hands on everything, all right? I said lay hands on things under your authority. That's why here at church, I only allow certain people to lay hands on you when you come to the altar. Because I don't want anything that's not of God being imparted to you through the laying on of hands. Say amen, somebody. Say thank you, Pastor. So you see, if I, if I see somebody that's laying hands on somebody that is, not, that is not authorized to do that, I don't have any problem going over there and saying, stop. Stop. Because I protect this altar and I protect this flock. And I, I want you to know that when someone lay hands on you in this church, that they are doing so under the authority of God and under the uh, anointing of God. 
And when I've asked people to come forward and lay hands on you, they're under my authority, and I'm under God's authority. But when you go around and lay hands on people that you don't have authority under, God doesn't recognize that. And so there's a, a pattern that God wants you to use. But this power is available to you in your home. It's available to you in the Christian life. And so if a sister or brother comes to you and says, will you pray for me? Take them by the hand and stretch forth your hand in prayer. Stretch forth your hand in fasting. Stretch forth your hand in worship. Stretch forth your hand in giving. Stretch forth your hand in deliverance because God is going to manifest himself as you do that. Listen, Jesus said to him, stretch forth your hand. And the man who could not stretch forth his hand by the power of God did what he could not do. And he stretched forth his hand, and the Bible said he became completely restored. Listen, most of the time, if you have a broken arm or a, 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 a hand that is atrophied, it requires, it requires rehab to get that hand going again, to get it to become functional again. This man was restored in the moment, and he was able to have full use of his hand the moment that Jesus gave him the miracle as he did what God had required him to do. Here's what I want you to know as you, as, as you come to this altar t this morning. Listen closely, please. You're going to say, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I can't pray. I can't fast. I can't, I can't give like that. I can't, I can't stretch out like that. I've never done that before. And, and you may not know how to do it. But here's the truth, that the anointing knows what to do. So when you don't know what to do, just stretch out and the anointing will take over. The anointing knows how to bring deliverance. The anointing knows how to break the yoke. The anointing knows how to make the difference. So when you begin to pray, if you're praying in the flesh, and many times we pray in the flesh. We pray like this. Father, we pray that you would bless this meal, make it nourishing our bodies, clean according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you need to stop praying like that. Say amen, somebody. When you talk to God, you're talking to God. Whether it's over a meal or whether it's over a sickbed, you're talking to the Lord God, creator of the heavens and the earth. And don't pray in your flesh. Pray in the spirit. When you begin to pray and you let the Holy Spirit pray through you, you'll start praying with power. You'll start praying with authority. You'll start praying for things you didn't even know were there. You'll be praying for your son or your daughter, and you'll say, I command pornography to come out of them in the name of Jesus, and they didn't even know that you knew. And you didn't know, but the Holy Spirit knew. Come on, somebody. The anointing knows what to do. That's why people leave here and they say, how did Pastor know? How did Pastor know? I didn't know. I still don't know. The Holy Spirit knows. And the anointing knows what to do. All you have to do is stretch out your hand in faith. All you have to do is activate what God has already put in your life. And when you do that, you'll see that God will show up. And he won't leave you ashamed because no one who ever trusted in the Lord will ever be put to shame. How many of you received that word this morning? Would you stand with me, please? Say this with me. The anointing. Knows what to do. Say it again. The anointing knows what to do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to come into this altar this morning. Because there are areas of your life where you have not been activating your faith. Areas of your life where you have not been stretching forth your hand. Where you have not been praying with power. Where you have not been worshiping like you used to. Or like you know that you can. 
Something's been holding you back. And this morning God says, stretch it out. Get in the game. Because your family's on the line. Because Beville's on the line. Because America's on the line. We need a church with trained hands. And God says, I will train your hands for war and your fingers to fight. So this morning's altar call is a battlefield altar call. Would you come into this altar and let's do some spiritual warfare this morning. Stretch forth your hands. Stretch forth your hands. Do those things that you think you can't do. Come pray with power. It's time to do the work that God called you to do. The only limit you have is your faith. So believe God this morning. Come on, open your mouth. There's a breakthrough in this house. There's a breakthrough in this house.